You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Corbin is here. Aaron's still on vacation. He'll be back next week. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Scott Van Pelt later today. Tommy will call in from wherever he is on vacation. He said he was in Chattanooga, Tennessee the other day. I think he's in Florida. I have no idea where he is, but he is scheduled to call in uh, shortly. Uh, The Wizards won last night without John Wall. Atlanta is horrible. Um, But it is interesting to watch the kind of offensive basketball the Wizards play when John Wall isn't there. The ball moves. Players move. It's what we saw last year when he was out. Uh, Beal had 36 and 9 assists. Uh, Sadoransky had 14 points, 7 assists, and no turnovers. And after the game, got a very warm endorsement from Bradley Beal, who said he works hard, he's long, he's good, and he deserves this. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Thomas Bryant, if you haven't been paying attention, he's the center now, Um, the... uh, undrafted uh, guy out of Indiana. 16 points, 9 rebounds last night in just 21 minutes. Uh, If you're not paying attention, once again, and why would you? That's why you have me when it comes to the Wizards. They've won three in a row. They've won three in a row, and they play their next game at Cleveland. Uh, The game of the night last night was in Brooklyn. Listen to what Paul George did last night for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They trailed the Nets by 23 at one point in the game, 18 going into the fourth quarter, and that's when he went off. He scored 25 points in the fourth quarter, outscored the Nets 25-19 to by himself. But the 25 that he had, it actually wasn't, they weren't all in the fourth quarter. They were all in the fourth quarter, but they were all in the final seven and a half minutes. He came in with about eight and a half to go. He scored 25 points in the final seven and a half minutes of that game uh, and hit a three with 3.1 seconds left, and OKC beat uh, the Nets last night uh, behind his 47 in total. Again, 25 in the fourth quarter. Russell Westbrook finished with 21 points, 17 rebounds, and 15 assists. He passed Jason Kidd for the third most triple-doubles in NBA history last night. Oscar Robertson um, is number one on that list. I looked this up this morning. I didn't know what the numbers were actually on triple-doubles. Oscar Robertson, the big O, 181 all-time triple-doubles. Magic is two with 138. He's 43 short of Oscar, Magic is. And now Westbrook has 108. So it's possible that Westbrook will get close to Magic, but he won't get close to Oscar Robertson. Um, One more thing from last night, um, just uh, recapping some of the things that happened uh, last night. If you missed it, number one ranked Gonzaga nearly got beat at home by in-state rival Washington. I bring it up because if you haven't seen Ri Hachimura, he's a Japanese player for Gonzaga. Gonzaga's ranked number one in America right now. They beat Duke. Um, right before Thanksgiving, he hit a shot last night to win the game with about a second left. If you haven't seen him, he's Japanese, he's 6'8", 235, athletic, and he's going to be a lottery pick in next year's NBA draft. He's a really good player. Gonzaga's really good uh, again. Uh, Tonight, it's Maryland at Purdue. The Terps are ranked 23rd, Purdue's 24th. The Boilers are 7 
point favorites in this one. Uh, I was hoping to see like minus three. Minus seven means that Vegas feels pretty good about their chances of winning this game. Uh, if you missed Mark Turgeon on yesterday's show, just go to past episodes at thekevinsheanshow.com or you know in your uh, catalog of shows on iTunes or however else you're consuming the podcast and just click yesterday's show and go to the 47-minute, 42nd mark. Um, that's where he came on. He was really good with us yesterday. I really like Mark. Everybody likes Mark. This is a big year for Maryland basketball, um, and this would be a huge win tonight to get on the road at Purdue, a ranked team that actually is desperate for a win tonight because they've lost two in a row. Um, they are ranked. Uh, Corbin shaking his head saying they're not ranked. They are ranked in the coaches' poll. They're 24th in the coaches' poll. They're not ranked in the AP. I just use the highest ranking possible when discussing teams. But uh, Purdue's ranked uh, 24th in the coaches' poll. They're good. They've got a great home court environment at Mackey Arena. Uh, and this is a big game for Maryland, who's got... The Terps have a, a, a tough schedule coming up even before more conference games. The Big Ten's rough with eight teams in the top 25 right now. They play Seton Hall um, before January 1. They also play Radford. Radford, you say? Yeah, Radford, who beat Notre Dame and Texas already this year. So that is... Uh, quite a schedule between now, and they've already played Virginia, obviously, and already a, a Big Ten game in Penn State. So big one tonight. Tom's going to call in from vacation in a few minutes. Scott will join us later as well. Uh, so I'm watching Mark Sanchez yesterday in his, his media uh, get-together after practice. He's really good in front of a camera, Mark Sanchez is. Confident. Um, he's really confident that his ex that his experience is going to put the Skins in position to win or play well um, uh, down the stretch. He seems to have no doubt. I mean, listening to him, there's no doubt uh, in his mind that 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 they're going to play well. Um, there's also no doubt listening to Sanchez in my mind that he was signed by the Redskins because of his real familiarity with what they're doing offensively, and Kevin O'Connell and Matt Cavanaugh's familiarity with him. They know him. They know what he, what he likes to do. They're able to communicate to the receivers um, the kind of ball he throws, where he likes to throw it, and Jay Gruden was comfortable with that. And, and Sanchez thinks he's already getting close to being up to speed for all intents and purposes. He said, no excuses. He's like, no excuses. He's gonna, he said, I'm going to be ready Sunday for a game that's really important. We're in a playoff race. I mean, he's still talking playoffs. And I think the team is. I think, I think this guy's got something to him from a leadership standpoint. Uh, he's got some charisma. And let's face it, one of the reasons he keeps getting signed by teams, he wasn't this year, but in the past, is people like him, um, players like him. Uh, he does have some, he's got personality to him. There's something to him. You know, Dak Prescott says that much more than Tony Romo, Mark Sanchez was his mentor his rookie year in Dallas. Um, as an aside, listening to Jay Gruden yesterday, there's no question in my mind that they signed Sanchez and then Josh Johnson um, for the exact same reasons. Both are players that the coaching staff knows. 
And the players themselves have an understanding of the play terminology and what the team is trying to do. And so there isn't a significant challenge in getting them ready to call a play in the huddle and to execute a play in an actual game. Look, I don't think Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen were ever going to sign Colin Kaepernick for many reasons. But I think listening to Jay Gruden and from his perspective, I really believe that the decisions on Sanchez and Johnson were totally about his and the coaching staff's comfort level. You can say all you want about Kaepernick being better than Sanchez and Johnson. You might be right. But at this point in this season, Jay would tell you there's no way I can get a new guy that's not familiar with what we're doing up to speed quickly enough for them to be effective. From a, from a pure football standpoint, they want the easiest path to a quarterback that can adapt to what everyone else is doing rather than getting everybody else to adapt to the quarterback. That's more of an off-season thing. If you've got to, yeah, I just think that this is really when it comes to Jay about football. I don't think there's a lot sinister uh, going on here. Nothing could be, to be honest with you, nothing could be less of a story for me right now as a football fan than the Redskins not signing Colin Kaepernick. I don't know anyone who follows football who would listen to Gruden talk about Sanchez and Johnson yesterday. Johnson, by the way, played with Gruden in Cincinnati, and he raved yesterday about how smart Johnson is and how familiar he is and how quickly he'll get up to speed on what Gruden wants. I don't know how anyone would listen to Gruden and not understand completely why he is more comfortable with them than he would be with someone he doesn't know for this particular team in this particular situation this late in the season. Question Jacksonville or Arizona why they didn't bring Kaepernick in during the offseason. Don't get hung up on why the Redskins didn't sign Kaepernick with four games left. So now um, that we are three days removed from the debacle Monday night in Philadelphia, can I interest anyone in the Redskins being able to hang in there over the final four games with a chance to make the postseason with Mark Sanchez leading the way. Anybody. Anybody. As mentioned, Sanchez talks the part, man. You got to go watch. You can you can find his press conference on redskins.com. Just watch it. He's smooth. He's got personality. He's quick. Quick-witted. He's confident. Maybe he's the guy this franchise has been waiting for all along. I thought about something yesterday, and maybe this has already come up on Sports Talk Radio, which I'm not a part of anymore, or in columns, which I've read some, but I haven't read this yet, uh, or maybe on TV, I don't know. But I remembered the other day, and I went and started to look this up last night. Do you remember that this was the guy that the franchise wanted? They tried to trade up in the 2009 draft to take Mark Sanchez. It was part of what we now know is a crazy offseason in 2009. They hated Zorn. They wanted to hire Mike Shanahan then, that year, after 2008. And the first attempt to get Mike Shanahan was to try to trade for Jay Cutler. And if you recall, Vinny Serrato has told the story after the fact. They thought they had the trade all locked up for Cutler. Um, and if, if the Cutler deal had happened 
they would have fired Zorn, brought in Mike Shanahan. But the Broncos were talking to the Redskins and the Bears about trading Jay Cutler, and they liked Kyle Orton more than they liked Jason Campbell, which is why they ended up dealing Cutler to Chicago and not Washington. So Cutler went to Chicago. The Redskins were still looking for a quarterback. They were still looking for their franchise quarterback, and they were still hoping that a franchise quarterback would bring Mike Shanahan out of brief retirement to take their job right then and there. And so they tried to trade up for, yes, Mark Sanchez. Vinny loved him, Snyder loved him, but they just didn't have enough to get into the top five to take him. Um, So they were stuck with Zorn and Campbell for one more season. And if you recall, and I found this quote last night, Jason Campbell was upset about the whole thing. And and Jason Campbell never got upset. But I found this quote from April 2009, right after the draft in which the Redskins selected Brian Brian Arakpo. I was about to say Arakpo the way uh, Vinny would say it, but when they took Brian Arakpo in the first round. Campbell was at a charity golf tournament shortly after the draft and was asked about the trade rumors, and he said, quote, It was definitely a shock when I heard the Mark Sanchez rumors. It's an awkward situation just because after the Cutler deal, we did sit down and talk, and then the Sanchez thing came up, close quote. And what he was indicating at the time is, you know, the the Cutler rumors were out there, so he sat down and had a conversation, and when the Cutler deal didn't go through, I'm sure Vinny and Dan said, don't worry, Jason, you're our guy. And then the Sanchez rumors came up. Anyway... Um, put that one up there with the mistakes barely avoided uh, by by the Serato Serato Snyder uh, era. Um, you know, two of them. I mean, the Cutler trade would have been bad for the team. The Sanchez trade would have been bad for the team. Um, remember, just a year after um, Vinny uh, and Dan, uh, all of that came a year after Vinny and Dan were ready to send two number ones to Cincinnati for Chad Ochocinco. Can you imagine if they had traded, if the Bengals had been, the Beng- the, the only reason they didn't take it is the Bengals were just as dumb as the Redskins because they should have taken two number ones in a heartbeat for, for Chad Johnson or Ocho Cinco at the time. Um, and the they didn't take it. That would have gone down very likely as one of the worst NFL trades of all time had they made it. I mean, they're already on the list for some of the worst ever, but um, yeah, I mean, just think about the ones that they were able to make. A third rounder for TJ Duckett third and fourth rounders for Brandon Lloyd with a new contract, a second and a fourth, I think it was, for Jason Taylor, or a second and a fifth maybe. I mean, the list goes on and on. Actually, I mean, we may be adding a fourth for HaHa Clinton Dix to the list of bad deals over the years because he's played poorly. Uh, we'll talk to Cooley about that more likely than not tomorrow. Um, anyway, the Skins tried to trade up to take Mark San- to take Mark Sanchez in the 2009 draft. They have him now. They've got him right now as a 32-year-old. Perhaps this is the chance he was looking for, and it'll turn out well for the Redskins. I doubt it, though. He's never been very good ever, anywhere he's been. He's thrown too many interceptions for too low of a completion percentage. Um, when asked to be just a game manager for a good team with a great defense like he was in his first two years in New York... He was just so-so at that. He threw a lot of picks in those two seasons. Um, With the regression of the defense over the last four to five games, I just don't think there's anything within the realm of reasonable to suggest that they could be good enough over the final four games to make a postseason run. I, I think it's one win the rest of the way. I think seven and nine is the best bet. Uh, maybe that's a poll. Ten and six, nine and seven, seven and nine or eight and eight. 
um, or worse. What did I just tenants? There are more possibilities, obviously. Seven and nine, six and ten's a possibility. Uh, I think it's going to be one win the, the rest of the way. And then I think there's going to be a reboot. I do. I think Bruce will be gone. I think Jay will be gone. Many of you suggested there's no way that'll happen, um, that Snyder's comfortable with Bruce being a shield for him. Uh, I don't know if he's the shield. Bruce push, pushes other people out there to be a shield for him. I mean, you got you got multiple shields working. But I just can't see how any any owner um, would look at his team and the business around it and suggest that you're going to bring back the two guys that have already created incredible, quantifi- quantifiable apathy um, and expect that people are going to get excited about that. They won't. Uh, I think you elevate Kyle Smith to GM if he's ready. You let him report to Doug Williams uh, but let Kyle Smith be the guy in charge of personnel, the true general manager. Uh, I don't know anybody of significance that will want that job in that position. Um, and then I'd go get Greg Williams. I was thinking about this last night. I'd go get Greg Williams. Give him a voice in personnel if he wants it. Uh, make sure he's ready to hire a really good offensive coordinator. Maybe this guy, Zach Taylor, who works for Sean McVay as, as his quarterback's coach in L.A. and is highly thought of. Maybe he's ready at 32 years old. Um, to be uh, an offensive coordinator. Uh, You don't have to hire him as as your head coach yet. You bring him in as the OC. Uh, Let's get tough. Let's get a a guy with some structure, with some toughness to him in Greg Williams. Uh, I would keep adding personnel to the defense. You're stuck at quarterback right now, although I would draft somebody uh, first, second, third round, uh, at the very least somebody that you think you can develop. Um, Now, if John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh becomes available, I'm interested very much in John. Uh, I'd hire either either one of them. You know, Bruce Arians has said he wants to coach, but I think he said that he only wants to coach the Browns. But I always thought of Bruce Arians as a really good coach. Josh McDaniels, I don't know. Lincoln Riley is a college coach coming to the NFL. A lot of people believe he's brilliant. Um, But anyway... uh, I'd think about Greg Williams when the season ends. I don't know if that fires up the fan base, but I think it would be a much better sell than Bruce and Jay. Uh, One more thing before we get to Tommy, because I saw this this morning. Reuben Foster's uh, girlfriend, uh, Alisa Ennis, was on Good Morning America this morning. And she said about the incident in Tampa last weekend, or two weekends ago, excuse me now, two weekends ago when the 49ers were in Tampa. She said, quote, even when I called the police, the 49ers came up there. I have pictures of the 49ers coming up there trying to talk to the police, telling them I'm the same ex-girlfriend that sat up there and lied, closed quote. And she's talking about her recanted uh, accusation the first time there was a domestic violence incident with Reuben Foster. And she said about that, quote, love will have you do things that's not in your best interest. I did what I had to do for the person I love. I thought that he would change, um, saying that she lied when she recanted and saying she did so uh, out of love. Um, she also had comments about him being picked up by the Redskins. Uh, and this was the quote, uh, quote, when he got, when he got signed, I was like, I can't believe somebody picked him up. I just couldn't believe somebody picked him up in less than how many hours I was shocked. Closed quote. 
All right, uh, let me tell you about Window Nation. Window Nation, they like this podcast. Harley likes it. Aaron likes it. Eric uh, listens all the time. He's a big Redskins fan. If you've been thinking about new windows, I promise you, as someone who has had Window Nation install windows in my home twice over the last decade, you won't go wrong by giving them a call. Time is running out on Window Nation's deal of the year. It's one more week. This Sunday it ends. Buy two windows, get two uh, free. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There is no limit. Plus, 0% financing for five full years. Save that well-earned money to splurge on your family, friends, and even yourself this holiday. Temperatures are falling. If your house is cold, it's because you need to get those windows replaced. Window Nation has saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy over the years. Final week of this deal, buy two, get two free, no limit, plus 0% interest for five full years. Call 866-90-NATION. Call 866-90-NATION. Tell them I told you to call. You can also go to windownation.com. And don't forget, it's a free estimate. Uh, There's no risk in having somebody come out, check out your windows, tell you what you need, and give you an estimate. Again, 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. All right, let's bring in Tommy. Uh, Tommy's vacationing. You're in Florida, right? Like the west coast of Florida somewhere? Yes, I am. I'm in the Florida Panhandle. Oh, you're in the Panhandle. About an hour hour away from Pensacola uh, and uh, right on the Gulf. And the weather's been fabulous, and I've been having a great time, and I may not come back. <laughs> yeah, why would you? Because it's freezing here, um, and it's been free. It's been freezing all week. Um, by by the way, just as an aside, uh, one of my very oldest, closest friends was in the Marine Corps flight school down in Pensacola um, when you know we were in our early twenties, and we went down there a couple of times, and that was actually a fun town. Now it was a military town. It was you know a lot of, but a lot of his friends became friends of mine, and um, there was a bar called Flounders. I'll never forget it. And I think on the two or three times we went down to Pensacola, I think we got there when it opened at noon and didn't leave until three or four a.m. on multiple <laughs> nights. But uh, it was actually uh, it wasn't a bad town. And Tommy, it was also not a long drive to New Orleans. You know, from Pensacola. No, I mean, no. So we did. Absolutely. We did. I'm, an, I'm about an hour, uh, an hour uh, east of Pensacola, and we're less than four hours away from New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. We did. We we went from Pensacola to New Orleans every single time we were down there for you know a, a day or two and and enjoyed that. Um, all right. Well, a lot's happened this week. Uh, and yes. I mean, I I know you want to weigh in. You wrote a column about Kaepernick. Um, I know you want to talk about Michael Loxley. Uh, do you want to just start with the game itself? I mean, can you believe that your son? I mean, how's he I doing? Uh, I mean, he, he, I, I think everybody knows how much we, we, we feel uh, awful about it. I hope you've expressed that to him from all of us. Well, I have. I passed on everyone's thoughts and, and prayers, so to speak, uh, to, to Colt. And look, at, I, he thinks he may be back before the end of the year. Apparently, it's, it's not nearly as bad or as dire as we thought that night, I mean, it's more of a crack than a break, a crack in the bone. And uh, you heard Jay Gruden. Uh, they're planning on the possibility that if they could use him 
in a meaningful game, that's what what they what they're hoping for. So all is not lost. Oh come on! <laughs> how how can you? You know, it's actually interesting. I would expect that he's going to end up on the injured reserve after this week. How can you fracture your fibula, you break your leg, and be back? But you did in three he weeks. Did. He cracked. He cracked it. Okay. He didn't break it. All right. He cracked it. You know, you've had bones with cracks in them before. I still do. You know, I'm sure your I'm sure your head's got all kinds of cracks. <laughs> There's a lot of cracks everywhere. <laughs> um so, so but you're right. It may it, it may be moot either this week or the week after. All right. So their their season's over in your view, right? They can't win with yeah, Sanchez. I, I I think so. I tell you what. If if Jay Gruden somehow brings this team to a playoff appearance, right, then he will have earned the benefit of the doubt I from said, everyone. I said the same thing yesterday that if they somehow win three games and they get to the postseason, well, then you know all bets are off because Tommy yesterday on the show, um, and I and I reiterated it today. I think it's over for Bruce and Jay. I don't know how on in what world as an owner of a business like the Redskins, you could possibly try to sell Bruce and Jay for one more year if they win another game and finish seven and nine. I, I just don't I just don't see it. I don't think there's any way it can happen. Well like you always say, what's your plan? What's your plan after that? I gave I I, and, I, I just gave it. You want to hear it? Yeah. All right. So look, this is a reasonable plan. Because I'm 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 practical about the kind of person that would actually come and work in the organization, right? So I'm going to elevate Kyle Smith to general manager. Everybody swears that he is talented and they can't let him leave this organization, that he's going to go on and be a good general manager somewhere else. I'd let him report to Doug Williams, but Kyle Smith would be the general manager and would run personnel. And then Tommy, I would go make men, I'd make amends with Greg Williams and I would hire Greg Williams to be my new, my new head coach. And I would give him a voice. Really? Yep. I'd give him a voice in personnel and I'd make sure that he's ready to hire a very good offensive coordinator. This guy, Zach Taylor, who works for Sean McVay as his quarterback's coach. People think that he may even be head coach uh, ready, but if he's not and he's a coordinator, bring him in. But I want a toughness to this organization, and I would keep adding personnel to the defense. I'd focus on adding more personnel to your defensive side of the ball with Greg Williams coaching it. You're stuck at quarterback, although I think you got to draft somebody now. Um, but that would be uh, – that's that's a solution. I'm not saying it's the solution, but I'm also practical about, you know, let's be honest. If John Harbaugh becomes available, he's not coming to Washington to work for Dan Snyder. There's no way. No. You know, so could you go get Greg Williams even after the relationship was, you know, uh, hurt a little bit there? I I can't believe that Cleveland's not going to consider keeping him. I'd consider that. But anyway, that's a solution. I'm not saying it's the solution. I may come up with another one by tomorrow. Well, you know, that would fit right in with the with the Redskins' new way of, of winning back fans because – he would be the perfect coach for Reuben Foster, a guy who was the grandfather of the whole Bounty Gate thing in New Orleans. Right. Winds up being your head coach here in Washington. That's perfect. Yep. But that, you know, that, that's absolutely I don't know if Reuben Foster be... will ever play for, for him, but Greg Williams. I know that. But my, Greg my Williams, point is Tommy... Greg Williams, is, he's never going to be a head coach in this league. Yes. Never, no one's going to hire him. He's a head coach right now. 
He's a he's an interim head coach. He's a head coach right now. And you know what? No they, one's going to hire him. I think you're wrong about that. I think okay. uh, you look, I, I actually I don't know if you're wrong with that. I think it's 50-50, but I will say this about Greg Williams. He is smart and he's a hell of a football coach. But you forgot about Bounty Gate, didn't you? No, I didn't forget about Bounty Gate. Okay. I mean, he's he's the guy. He's the guy who, who engineered that whole thing that embarrassed the NFL and cost them millions of dollars? And you said at the, the time he'll never. And you said at the time he'll never coach again, and he's been coaching as a defensive coordinator. Right. So I, I think that I was wrong about that. I think the next step is he that he'll will never be a head. The league will never never endorse a team hiring him to be the head coach. You know what? What I'm thinking about here, I'm thinking about good quality coaches, and at the same time from. The, the owner standpoint, what could you possibly do to get anybody excited about this team in 2019? I actually think Greg Williams would be a hire that would excite some who are not excited anymore right now. Not everybody, but it, some. It would, as opposed to a guy that most people have never heard of. Right. Yeah, or, or a, a, a so-called retread. Or, or something like that. It, it would probably generate some attention and interest. But look, Kevin, there's there's no hope. There's no hope. You know that. Just, I mean, in, in the in the, two, in the years that Dan Snyder has owned the team, he's had two guys run the personnel when he hasn't been running it: Vinny Serrato and Bruce Allen. I mean, think about that. I know. What what makes anyone think that anything's going to change? I mean, I don't think Bruce Allen's gone, I, I, but if he is, he may be. I'm Tommy, not, I'm he's not... enemy number one of the fan base. How can you possibly bring him back? When they, sh- when they had the cutaways during the Philadelphia Monday night game of Bruce up in the booth with the headset, did you see Twitter, Redskin fans, those that were paying attention yeah. to the game? Listen, I mean, I know. And did you see Bruce try to hide behind the uh, the uh, bar in between the windows at one point? I uh, think he knew the camera was I th- on him. I think I missed that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't okay, see it. Been, I, I I he's just he's don't been, see it. He's been public enemy for a while, and I don't think it, it it's going to make much difference. To I uh, look, I just think it's it's it's. There's no hope, Kevin. There's no hope. <laughs> <laughs> I There's mean, not. There's I, no hope. You're not. Look, you're not trying to. Um, you're not trying to. You know, talk down a person that's that's ready to jump in. I, I'm with you. I understand that Dan Snyder, as the owner of this football team, means that we're never going to have a good franchise as a fan base. I, I mentioned this yesterday that I don't want a good team. I want a good franchise, and I, I don't know that that's ever going to be possible. With him as the owner, I, I'm resigned to that. But I would like, you know, if we're if if that's off the table, they got to figure out a way to have a, a, the best possible team every once in a while. And I, I'm okay. the accidental good season, the accidental good season that they've never had, that everybody else yeah. has had, that they they haven't won 11 games once <laughs> since two, since 1991, and they've only I won know. 10 three times. It's really. It's an incredible stretch of just horrible, horrible football. I, 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 well, the, the funny thing well, is is that th- th- these last four years, if you add up the record of the last four years, it's about as good a four-year stretch as we've had in a long time. Yes, I know. I know. And, and 
And, you know, you know my contention, fan bases should only de- demand more in this town than they do. I don't think that's possible with the Redskins. I think I think seven to nine to nine and seven is the world you should you should be happy to live in. Okay. Well, I gave you asked me <laughs> and, for a solution. I gave you a solution. Okay. No, that that that's a solution. Yeah. You're right, and, and I think it would generate some interest. Although you're hiring a defensive coach to be your head coach in an offensive league. I don't care. Uh, I don't care about okay. that. Okay. I, I really okay. don't. I, I, I think that right now I would add somebody like him. And by the way, if you can't add him as a head coach because no one else wants to hire him as a head coach, uh, you hire Bruce Arians and you make Greg Williams the defensive coordinator. Or you yeah. hire Josh McDaniels and you make Greg Why Williams not? the want, defensive you coordinator. You want to kill poor Bruce Arians? Go ahead. <laughs> hire him as the Redskins head coach. <laughs> All right. What do you got for me? Your columns by, on Kaepernick. And by the way. What? Yeah, I mean that's some people think the solution is bringing in Colin Kaepernick, and I can't believe no one wrote this because it's the first thing that occurred to me. Why does anyone think Colin Kaepernick would come play for the Washington Redskins? Why? Because of the name the Redskins. Yeah, the Redskins. I said this yesterday. Yeah, everything, everything that Colin Kaepernick is against. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out if you look at his supporters. If you look at the people that back him, it's the same crowd that wants to change the name. Now, those people are going to turn around and say, oh, our hero, Colin Kaepernick, is going to play for the Redskins, so we're going to support him and become Redskins fans. Colin Kaepernick, who I pointed out, uh, appeared at a Native American protest on Alcatraz Island two years ago and spoke out against the genocide against Native Americans and stuff and got two ceremonial feathers from some uh, uh, Indian official. Really? Uh, Native American official. I mean, what's he going to do? Stick those in his Redskins helmet? Well, may- maybe maybe that's, maybe that's one of the Native American tribes that actually love the Redskins. Because, you know, the Redskins <laughs> yeah. just happen to be the most popular NFL team <laughs> among Native Americans for those that didn't yeah, know. know it. Um, but, you know what, know. T- Tom, Tommy, but, yesterday, I, and I said this, and Maybe you put this thought into my mind a few weeks ago. You could have. Um, I, I said, look, if you're the Redskins, you always need to be aware of the cause celebs. You have to be aware of whether or not someone with his profile is going to come here, whether it's him or a future big-name free agent or a big-named high-profile draft pick. You've got to make sure that they're not going to say the day you sign them or draft them, I don't want to play for them. They've got a racist name. You, don't you have to, as a in this environment that we're in, don't you, do you think any thought goes into that? Remember there was a bit of a concern as it related to Sam Bradford and whether or not the Redskins. Yes, I do. Yeah, I mean, and whether or not because he would he have had, played for the Native Redskins. American, he had Native American blood in him, right. supposedly. Uh, so yeah, and, and, and you're right. You you do have to be aware of that. But these people, you know, are the most tone deaf. Uh, this is the most tone deaf organization, I think I've ever seen yeah. in 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 the history of sports. But listen, there's no way that Colin Kaepernick is going to is going to come play for the most hated organization among his supporters. Why don't you That's call him and find out? Happen. Why did you try to call him before you wrote the column? 
I, no, I, I did not try to call him. Don't you think it would be interesting to ask Colin Kaepernick if he is uh, his his view on the Redskins team name? Yes, it would. Yeah, it would be. Well, I mean, again, I, I just he, gave you not, an assignment not, today from vacation. He's not going to come play here. I mean, that's that's just not going to happen. And and the people who are pushing it are foolish to think that he would do that. There, I mean, look at there. There's a petition going around to try to get Maroon 5 not to play in the halftime of the Super Bowl because of the NFL, uh, you know, su- supposedly, you know, freezing out Kaepernick. What are they going to do uh, if, if, if he signs with the Redskins, those people? Start a petition saying, let's support the Washington Redskins? <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know. So he's never going to play here. I, I... – I, I thought of the same thing, and I'm I'm going to give you credit because I have a feeling you probably put this in my mind in a conversation that we had because I don't think we had it all on the air, off the air. But I I I thought I I said the same thing yesterday. I'm like, do they know that he would have come here had they offered him an opportunity? To come here because, yeah, it would seem in conflict. It would be really interesting to get his views on the name and and, and whether yeah, – and, and, and maybe they know the it. Redskins, maybe the Redskins already know it. Maybe they know. Well, look, you're kind of foolish if, if, you, if you can't put two and two together and realize what would happen. Right. And the, Red, the last thing the Redskins want is, is for – to offer Colin Kaepernick a job and to have to exactly. turn him down. Exactly. <laughs> that that was my point. Is moving forward, and maybe they're already in this mode. I, I don't know if they are or are not. But they've always got to be aware of that. That that a high profile signing, you know, that you ne- you almost have to make sure that there is no you know emotional feeling, passionate feeling about the team name in, in a negative way. You you really do because you, yeah it, I agree and, and and in his case I mean can you imagine the opportunity it could have been for him to turn down the Redskins because of the name Yes exactly it would have always solidified his position as a quote social justice warrior basically what it, what it would have done uh, and you know what's funny when my column hit social media yesterday. Uh, because reading comprehension no longer exists. <laughs> People can't seem to understand what they read. All the change in name advocates were convinced I was on their side somehow. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, as, of course. As a result of this. And, and they kept retweeting my column and tweeting me stuff about some kind of big rally this Saturday and all this stuff. And it got so bad that Mike Wise stepped in on social media to tell all them Look, this is not this guy is not on your side. That's not what he's saying. Did he really? Yeah. That's funny. That is so funny. Um, because well, look, I mean, Mike certainly knows uh, in this market everybody's position on that issue. I mean, he and I have had so many conversations about it. But I, I, um, I, I, you know, I am curious. No one. In all of the talk in the last few days about just absolute frustration, borderline anger over the Redskins not even considering Kaepernick, you know, from from a lot of the people that really want to see Kaepernick back in the league, I'm surprised no one else even thought of it from that perspective. Well, so am I. So am I. But you know what? It's lonely at the top. It is. It is lonely at the top. Um 
you wanted to uh you wanted to weigh in also on Ruben Foster. You heard about the girl the ex-girlfriend's appearance this morning on Good Morning America. Yeah, you know, I may not be the the uh amateur G-man that Bruce Allen is with his investigative powers that he seems to have, but I called the Santa Clara DA's office yesterday and I talked to somebody who told me on, you know, off the record uh, well, I told me on background would not go on the record to say it that they believed they they believed that the victim was lying in her recant, not in her original statement, uh, accusing of uh, Reuben Foster of domestic violence. So much so that if you go back and you read the statements issued by the, the Santa Clara D.A. after she recanted, they made it pretty clear in those statements that they thought she was lying then, not not the first. Hold time. on, Make, believed, just to be clear, lying when she recanted, not lying about yeah, the incident. Read, lying right, about read her, the statements. Yeah. Read the statements at the DA's office. They they were they wanted to pursue the case whether she recanted or not, because that's how convinced they were that he that he did in fact commit these acts. But you know, I don't have the same kind of contacts that uh, J. Edgar Bruce Allen does over <laughs> at Redskins Park. Yeah. What a joke that is, you know? Well, what a joke that is. They conducted their own investigation. Yeah, without calling the, the Tampa police. They've got their own contacts down in Tampa. I, you know, highly, highly suspicious of any sort of investigation. You know what the investigation was? The investigation was what they told you on day one it was. They talked to a couple, not all, but a couple of his former teammates who said, yeah, he's a great dude. I wouldn't, this stuff is all, you know, exaggerated. He's a great dude. That's the extent of their investigation. In my view, I could be completely wrong. But to your point, you just called the Santa Clara, you know, DA's office and essentially got more information than perhaps they even have. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the Santa Clara DA believes he beat her up. Yeah. Well. No. Um. Those, your Washington Redskins, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think the crowd will be like this Sunday for the Giants game? Well, you've got a couple of things working against you. Uh, number one would be Mark Sanchez. <laughs> number two, number two would be thirty degrees, and number three, it could be snow in the forecast. Although that seems to be more of a long shot now than it was maybe a day or two ago. But it, it's not going to be pretty. Um, it's not going to be pretty at all. You're talking about, you know, I think a crowd that'll be half full. And and here's this the could be, and the giant fans aren't coming either. No, they're not coming either. That's part of it because they've got a four and eight football team who, by the way, is pretty good right now. They're playing pretty well. You know, yes. they've won three of their yes, last four, and it could have been e- very easily four in a row had the head coach not had a brain freeze and in the second half at Philadelphia with uh, Saquon Barkley. But right. I, I, I'm not. I mean. Did you? You probably haven't had a chance to see Mark Sanchez's press conference from yesterday after practice. You didn't see that, did you? I did watch. I did watch clips of it because he got such positive reviews. Oh my and God, Tommy! He's he's that, yeah, he's that smooth. Surprised me though. I mean, he went to USC. You know, guys who who play in in in, in L.A. coming from USC. That's almost like a movie studio college. 
in, in terms. So it doesn't surprise me that he'd be – and he played in New York in his early years. He would have had – he's media savvy. He would have had you at hello yesterday had you been, <laughs> on, had you been at the press conference because you're such an easy sell. But he really, he really is. He's, he's super – like just watching him up there, it's like I was thinking to myself – wait a minute, he really thinks he's about to lead them on a big run here. Like, he's confident. He's definitely got, you know, he's media savvy for sure for the reasons yeah. you mentioned, probably even more so because he's he was in New York for those years. Right. And he's, you know, he's quick-witted. Um, he's got personality. And, you know, th- and, and I mentioned this. You know, I don't think it's coincidental that despite no one thinking for many, many years that he was a starting quarterback, that teams still wanted him in their locker room. You know, Dak Prescott said he was he was much more uh, of his mentor than than Tony Romo was. And if you recall that 2016 Uh season, whenever they'd show a shot of Dak Prescott on the sideline, it was Sanchez sitting next to him, you know, going through everything with him. Um, I I can see why players and coaches like him. The problem is, is he's not very good. You know, he's just not very good and hasn't been very good. He's limited. Very, very limited. limited. Yeah. Um, and and the, the the bigger picture, too, Tommy, uh, over the last month is that the defense just isn't very good anymore. You know, you, you, you we relied the, – the, the, you could rely on a defense in that first seven-game, eight-game stretch that shut down the run that, that was that, – and, and a team that was playing smart football. But defensively, they're 29th in the league on third down. They are dead last over the last month on third down in the entire league. You know, you just, it, it's not like they've got something else they can fall back on now that they don't have a quarterback. I just. Right. Well, I, let me ask you this. Uh, everything went, started going south with the Atlanta game. Did Atlanta show a blueprint for how to deal with this defense? Is it just a matter of opposing coaches getting film on the defense after a couple games and saying, well, we have to attack them this way? I mean, really, except for Matt Ioannidis and now Quentin Dunbar, I mean, they're not really missing many parts. They shouldn't be this bad on defense based on what we saw unless they haven't, unless other teams have adjusted to their defense and the Redskins have not adjusted in return. I don't even know if that's the case. Well, I, I would say this, not that they could use this as an excuse, um, but they have missed Dunbar because they don't they didn't have depth at corner. You know, it was one of the things that every every fan wanted addressed in the offseason and they signed Scandrick and that didn't work out. And everybody wanted guard depth and they didn't address that either. I mean, the things that were obvious in terms of what they needed to address in the offseason, guard, wide receiver, and corner, you know, they signed Paul Richardson. I mean, he was a, he's a number two receiver and, and he got hurt. And they didn't have depth at corner, and they had no depth at guard. So they're in this position in part because of their own doing. But you know, did Atlanta have a blueprint? No, Atlanta just was the best offensive football team that they've played this year, other than New Orleans. You know, New Orleans and Atlanta were the two best offensive teams they've faced. And Dallas has gotten better, and they gave up 31 to the Cowboys. Um, I thought, uh, in terms of Monday night's game. I thought Carson Wentz, for the first time that I've watched the Eagles this year, looked like the Carson Wentz of last year. I thought he was. Yes, he did. He was really good. And if you're, he was very mobile. 
Yeah. Very mobile, moving, moving the pocket around. Yeah, no doubt. And if you're an Eagles fan and you were looking for a ray of hope, getting the win was huge, but even bigger than that is offensively they had the biggest, really the biggest day of the year for them. The, the 34 points they scored against the Giants were in part because of a lot of turnovers. Um, but th- that was a big offensive game for Philadelphia based on what they've they've done. And now, you know, they've got a chance to, to be in first place if they can go to Dallas Sunday and win. Um, but, yeah, I don't – they just – I never thought watching them defensively in the first seven or eight games of the year, and I told you this, I didn't think they were a top-five defense. I thought they were improved, and I thought they would be improved before the season started. But they still have a few pieces that they've got to add. But they do have young talent defensively. I mean, if you were really stretching to find where, where's the hope, you know, next year and beyond, it's Payne, it's Allen, it's Ioannidis. It's, it's a core group up front defensively that if you can build around that and you've got the right coordinator, and I'm not sure Minuski's the right coordinator, um, I, I'm souring a bit on Minuski as the coordinator here. I, I don't think that they adjust very well. I don't think they're schemed very well. I think they're easy to figure out. Um, but if they can get the right coordinator and add more talent, they've got a chance to be good defensively for the next few years. they got to get the right D coordinator in. They, they should have hired Wade. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes that he made, Gruden made, was not hiring Wade Phillips when Wade Phillips was ready to come work for this organization. You know, with his yeah, son. Supposedly, supposedly uh, it was because he didn't. He thought he was too old and didn't have energy. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I heard. But anyway, um, I'm not. You know, I'm not very bullish about these final four games. They're 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 going to be an underdog in all four of them. They're a three and a half point underdog Sunday at home against a four and eight team. Uh, and you know, and then you've got you know you got the Jags who have just shut out Indianapolis and nearly shut out Pittsburgh. Um, and Tennessee's in a playoff race, and then the Eagles will probably have to win that game at the end of the year. I mean, six and ten is definitely in play, and and that's why yes, it is. if if it's six and ten or seven and nine, I just don't know how, Tommy. How the hell you say we're standing pat? We're bringing everybody back. We just had well, a lot. Of, we just had a lot of injuries. Look, you just mentioned. Uh, I mean, you see this in baseball all the time. There's assistant coaches that you can pin this on, you know. I mean, uh, nobody's going to You can, you can have sacrificial, you can have sacrificial lambs other than Jay. I don't think Jay Gruden or Bruce Allen are going anywhere. You are very adamant that you think this would be it for them. Uh, is if, this if, another? If be, they, is this another bet that we've made no, over the years? That no, no, no. no I don't no, feel strongly about it. I, I feel I, strong. I, I think it's. I think it's. Be- I, I think do. it's better than fifty-fifty. I think there's a sixty percent chance minimum. That both of them are gone. I would wager I, on it right now. I'd like to. I'd actually. I'm going to check futures on Jay Gruden. I haven't looked at that recently, but he's got to be on the list of coaches now that have odds on him being fired. Um, he wasn't well, earlier on, in the year. Yeah, I'm counting on the Redskins doing the stupid thing and keeping both of them. It's bad so, business for them because you can't go wrong investing in Redskins stupidity. <laughs> okay. Um, you don't, I, I asked you before we started this segment, um, you don't have any thoughts on the Nats spending $140 million on Patrick Corbin, who, by the way, Tommy, and I was reading about this, 
was almost a lock to go to either the Yankees or the Phillies. The, the Nats do this a lot. They are stealth, and they come out of nowhere, and they spend big money on on players. Like I remember the years in which you said the learners are cheap, they're cheap, they're horrible owners. And they are cheap when it comes to managers, but when it comes to personnel – I think they they do a pretty good job, and they're willing to go after it. And and they're they, I I just thought it was a I I thought it was a good signing. I mean, he's clearly a guy. You give they now have a left. They have an all star lefty to go with Scherzer and Strasburg. It's a good signing. It's something they needed to do. They needed a two A or a three starter in, in that rotation, and particularly a lefty. Uh, so yeah, it's a good signing, and they are good at that. But Kevin. It's more complicated with the learners. The learners will do that, but then tell Mike Rizzo at the trading deadline, well, you can't add any payroll. Okay, so that's where they're cheap. I mean, they've done that to them time after time again. When, when teams are trying to, like, you know, the, Red, the uh, Nationals weren't sellers at the trading deadline this year, and they got crucified for that, but I had no problem with them not giving up at the trading deadline, but they weren't buyers either. And I don't know this to be true, but I know in the past that it is true that uh, the learners told Mike Rizzo, you can't add any payroll at at the trading deadline. So that's, I mean, they're cheap in so many other ways, Uh, but they do spend on big ticket players. And this was, look, this was a glaring necessity. Right. And the, the National League East, uh, it's not the National League East that the, the the Nats dominated for the past five years. Phillies and Braves uh, are just the, much better. Yeah, and the Braves added Josh Donaldson. The the Phillies uh, are the Phillies could wind up with Bryce Harper for all we know. Although my money's still on the Dodgers. Uh, well, don't no you think that the add, adding Corbin at you know uh, an annual value of twenty two twenty three million. I was looking at you know the luxury tax is two hundred and six million next year. They if they don't you think that pretty much ends the discussion about Bryce Harper back to the Nats for thirty five million or forty million a season because they offered him well, here's they offered it, him thirty million right? Yeah, here's what it does. It leaves that decision totally, absolutely, one hundred percent now in the hands of the owners. The owners are the ones who could decide, well, we don't care about the luxury tax. We, we, we want Bryce Harper to stay here. That, wouldn't, that would be an ownership decision through and through. So the only way Bryce Harper uh, stays in Washington is if the owners decide that they're willing to pay whatever it takes. Because eventually, the team that gets Bryce Harper is going to make the decision, we're going to pay whatever it takes to get him, whether it's the Phillies, whether it's the Dodgers, or whether it's the Nationals. All right. Uh, enjoy. When are you coming back? I don't know if I'm coming back. You know what? I One of these days, you're going to go on one of these trips to somewhere warm, and you're not going to come back. Because why? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to come back. You can write, no, I don't. You can write your column for the Times from... Yeah. I mean, Sally writes from New York. I mean, it, it's... It, yes, I can. Uh, and so you, you could do that. One of these days, I've always thought that about you. You you and Liz are going to go on one of these trips to one of these warm places, and you're going to say, Honey, we're not going home. <laughs> we're not going back to Frederick where it's 24 degrees. 
Kevin. What? We just got back together. How could I abandon you now? <laughs> yeah, but we could. I we'll set up something for you down there. It would, you could do this from down there. You don't have to be here. But anyway, all right. Uh, enjoy the rest of it, and I'll see you next week. All right, I'll see you, boss. All right, uh, that's Tommy. Everybody, let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep uh, in Fairfax. Uh, if you're in the market for something new. Consider Farish, please, because they uh, are good friends and they've been big supporters of me on radio and now on this podcast. And they're, they're really smart. And I promise you that you'll be taken care of. This is only if you're thinking of something new, just don't go out there for the hell of it. If you've been thinking about a, a new vehicle, you know, a Chrysler, a Dodge, a Jeep. You know, head out to Fairfax. They also have a Subaru dealership out there as well. Ask for Ralph Perkins. Ralph is the best. He's a huge DC sports fan. He's a great guy. And if you mention me, he's going to put you in touch with their best salesperson. Now, I talked to him just before the Eagles game. So I think it was on Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. And he said that their rebates right now out at Farish are the best they've had all year long. And the reason for that is they've got a bunch of inventory uh, at the dealership on the lot, and they want to move it so that they can get new shipments of vehicles in on January 1. And that just creates a great deal opportunity for the consumer, for you. So moving all those vehicles gives you a great chance to get the best deal you'll get all year long. He specifically mentioned the Jeep Cherokee, the Grand Cherokee, and the Wrangler, and Ram pickups that right now you won't get a better deal anytime, anywhere uh, than the deal you'll get at Farish. If you like this show and you've been thinking about buying something new, again, I give you my word that you'll be taken care of if you head out to Farish and Fairfax and ask for Ralph. They're right there in the heart of Fairfax and Fairfax Circle. You can find out all you need to know about Farish, live inventory, live pricing at farishcars.com. All right, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt for his weekly visit. A couple things to get to you uh, on, and and I'll just start with the college football playoff. Ultimately, did you have any problem with Oklahoma over either Ohio State or Georgia? No. I think we didn't. This is exactly what we said it would be last week if if the people won who won. Yeah, but the difference being that Georgia played Alabama in a game that we watched where it looked like they were every bit as good as Bama. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt in my mind that the committee wasn't going to put two teams in from the SEC, an independent, and the ACC team until three of their, to three of their Power Five you know, member conferences. Tough. They just, that wasn't happening. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you, and I I I've, I thought when we got to Sunday that it was Oklahoma, like we had discussed last Friday. But Georgia against Bama was such an interesting game because it wasn't flukish. I mean, they have the players, no. like the, the three teams that have the best talent on both sides of the ball are clearly in watching this college football season: Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. And then to me. There's a drop-off when you get to to Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then maybe even Notre Dame after that. But that's not the way this playoff is going to work. It's going to be about who's most deserving. I guess. I mean, and you could argue, like, the point I made to Reese Davis when we spoke on the show Sunday was I think you, you could make a pretty compelling case that the best evidence Georgia had that it belonged in a playoff was losing to Alabama. Outside of that, what what are you pointing to and saying, see, we did this, 
what would they they beat? I mean, they won like what at South Carolina and stuff like that. I mean, they, they beat Florida, and who had just beaten man, LSU. They, you know, they beat. Yep. No, they got crushed by LSU. I said they had beaten Florida, who had just beaten LSU. Florida, okay, right? Well, they yeah. and they got smacked by they got smacked by by LSU on the road. And I, listen, I I don't have any doubt in my mind. Georgia's one of the four best teams. What what's what sucks for them is that the playoffs started last weekend. And is that their fault? No, it's just it's one of the one of the uh, collateral damage that comes with uh, playing in the conference you play in. That that you may have to play Bama before anybody else does in the, your version of the playoff. And um, we, we had Kirby Smart on SportsCenter with, with me that night. Yeah, I was and, watching. You know, he, and he made the point that, that I, I get. I, I'd say the same thing if I were him. I, the, the really gutting portion of this, and it's not playoff-related, it's just reality-related if you're Georgia, is you just, you just played Alabama in two football games in the same venue, one for a national title, one for an SEC title. And the stat, and I think the Athletic had this this week, there were like 260-some-odd snaps in two football games. And Alabama had had the lead in those two games after nine snaps. Nine. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine playing two football games against that team and and owning 95% of the games, never trailing except for nine snaps and going 0-2? And you know that's why that's why it's a huge bummer for Georgia. But at some point, the committee's got to take re, take losses and wins into account. Otherwise, there's no point in playing games and having a scoreboard. No, I get it. And you know, for Kirby Smart, if he had just punted the ball against a defense that was yeah. set, expecting a fake punt instead of trying something that really was dumb in the moment, because you could see they were they had their regular defense on the field and they were expecting it. Call it off. Punt the ball. Make Jalen Hurts go, you know, ninety yards instead of fifty. Yeah. Um. Speaking yep. of speaking of Jalen Hurts, I mean, how good of a story was that? I mean, I was rooting for Georgia watching that entire game. I was. And then when he got that first touchdown and got the ball back, it was hard not to root for him. I agree. It's just, I mean, it's just the incredible, impossible symmetry of going into the same building against the same team, and this time you're the one that comes in and replaces the guy who replaced you, and you lead them to the win. And and doing it in a number of cases by making huge third-down passes, which is the thing he really wasn't doing too well last year before he got replaced. And, I mean, he made huge throws and huge moments. So, I mean, it was incredible. Uh, OU's defense is terrible. There's Everyone knows that, and... They're going to score against Bama. I'll promise you that. But Bama will score as many as they want against OU. Yeah, it's sixty-three thirty-eight, something like that. Probably sure, something when it, like that. Uh, when all is said and done. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about Maryland's football hire, Mike Loxley. Um, I watched you the other night um, talk about Loxley, and you specifically had a message for people outside of this market and outside of this football uh, community. And I just want you to sort of repeat that message. Everybody that that doesn't get this is going to say he had a terrible record at New Mexico and there were a bunch of off-the-field issues. And to that, I would say, yep and yep. Both those things are, are, uh, are accurate. What people from outside the area don't get and won't bother to spend the time looking at is the overwhelming reaction 
within the, the, the DMV from the former players, the Stefan Diggs, the A.J. Francis's, the Yannick Ngakwe, the Vernon Davis's, I could keep going. I mean, the, the laundry list of former players who, to a man, rave about Mike Loxley. The reaction of the former of the current players within the program whose reaction is overwhelmingly positive. The reaction at the grassroots and you know big time high school coaching level in the community, like Elijah Brooks at DeMatha, whose quote was you're the free reign is over in the DMV. Uh, you're not just gonna come in here and get players because players, coaches and parents trust him Maryland football will never be the same. That's what the DeMatha head football coach said about Mike Loxley. So the reaction in the community about him coming back, it tells you all you need to know about how he's regarded. And by the way, none of us in life, uh, in our occupations, should be judged by our worst moments. uh, And we're allowed to get, I shouldn't say when we shouldn't be judged exclusively. Yes, that's part of the story. And I understand why it's brought up. It's fair that it's brought up. But what what I see the people in the post bringing up baggage and, and, oh, he should, how the optics of this, he's worked at Maryland after that. He's already worked at Maryland. (laughs) Right. He was an assistant after that. An interim head coach. Correct. And there wasn't this pearl clutching and hand wringing and people bringing up New Mexico. None of that happened. None of that happened. And you're going to say, oh, well, look at what's happened to Maryland. They need somebody else. Who, you, who were they getting? Who wanted this job? Who were the list of candidates? And, 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 those, and by the way, Maryland doesn't have to make a hire to make you happy. People, writers at the Post and people out there that are going to they, – they don't have to do that. They need to make a, a, a hire that their team – that their fan base, that the people that are, that are ultimately going to be the ones that have to support the program are going to make happy. And that, that group, those constituents, are overwhelmingly thrilled with this hire. And so, again, I understand pointing out New Mexico, all that's fair. But a man's allowed to grow. A man's allowed to do better the next time. A man who just, by the way, was handpicked by Nick Saban to come be a part of his program and just got an award as the best assistant in America and who Dwayne Haskins would have been playing for had he been the coach of Maryland, a Heisman candidate at Ohio State. I mean, I could keep going, and I will if, you're, if you need content on your board, but the, the reasons why he was hired are many, and none of them necessarily are what people outside of the area care about, want to hear about, or, or, or even take the time to consider. So... I was on record long before the hire was made that this is the guy that it should be. He can help heal this football community. Um, he himself went through a, the tragic loss of a son uh, to, to violence and, and I think has is armed with the perspective of a parent that went through that. It's different than what happened to Jordan McNair. I'm not comparing the same thing other than this is a man with that's armed with more perspective now on what matters in life than before. And I'm not trying to paint him as a perfect person. I'm just trying to tell anyone that's going to bring up the New Mexico issues in the record, here's why. And I, what I find interesting, Kevin, is how many people outside of here are so violently opposed and care so deeply about who get, who the Maryland football hire is. Like it has anything like that matters to them. It doesn't. It well, matters to the Maryland football community. 
Well, not that they are apples to apples, but the reaction to DJ Durkin initially being brought back um, was the same thing. I mean, I, you know, and I mentioned this over and over again. I was surprised that he came back. I don't, I don't think that it was handled well at all. But what you know, and I said this to Tommy. What Tommy and Sally and a lot of these people don't have to live with are the consequences of the of these decisions when it comes to you know brass tacks, true financial impact, and. You know, Durkin, I'm sure they penciled out what that was going to mean. And it was probably ugly in terms of getting rid of him. And when all the columnists and all the outraged were gone, they were going to be stuck with budget shortfalls and needing to fire people, you know, good people that worked in the in, in the athletic department to make it work. So whatever. I, I here by the way, when did he lose his son? How old was he and what was what was the circumstance? I'm I'm unfamiliar with that part of the story. His son was was shot and killed in in, uh, in Colombia last year, um, and his son was I want to say twenty like tw- oh. over twenty something years old. Jesus. It happened last year, and I, I bring it up simply as a as a, as in Colombia the a, country Colombia, Colombia Maryland. Oh, Colombia Maryland. Okay. Yes, and um, I mean. It's, just a tragic, awful story of violence, and that, that, that took a sense, senseless violence that took his life. And um, and I, again, I bring it up simply as a matter of uh, just perspective on a man and, and how you gain perspective in life and and understanding uh, what the McNair family went through in losing a son again in a different way, but a guy who's armed with 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 just more compassion than probably he was when he went to Mexico and. Uh, I, again, it's not the f- most important part of the story. I'm just saying. No, no, I was just curious. I, I, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I, I was unaware. I'm just of that. talking about who he is, the guy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yesterday on the podcast, I talked about just expectations. What are reasonable expectations? And and I understand. And I've talked to a lot of people over the years. You know, in the in the coaching community here in D.C., basketball primarily, but people who are also involved in the football community, and overwhelmingly, almost every single conversation always ended with they should have hired Loxley, they should have hired Mike. Like this is the guy that everybody he'll go into anybody's home and he's going to get the most talent. And in this Big Ten East, you've got to have the talent, and he can get it. So what are what are your expectations? What are reasonable expectations in terms of true like wins, losses, bowls, etc.? What should well, what should, it, what should that measuring stick be? It starts it starts with right now the most important things for Maryland football to do is to try to, to try to unite a, 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 the factions that have been torn apart, former players, current players, Boosters, a, a fan base that has that has grown so apathetic that we've seen that what the stadium looks like uh, on, on game day. It, it's you got to figure out how to fill. You got to figure out how to fill it. One, you do that by by creating some enthusiasm around the program, and you do that by getting the players that can help win games. And Mike's going to do that, um, and it'll start immediately. Uh, it's it's early December. Their their recruiting class right now is ranked last in the Big Ten. It's in it's in the eighties. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like this year, but the 2020 local class there is one of the best it's been in years. And my guess is that you'll see them uh, between now and the end of this signing period flip a number of local kids, meaning kids that have verbally committed other places are going to commit to Maryland. It'll start right now. They don't have time to make it like a top 20 class this year. That's not reasonable. 
but they you, you saw some of the talent that was in place from last year. You add that, you add whatever Mike can get this year and what they'll get in the 2020 class. And what's reasonable to expect is that they're going to be competitive, um, certainly at the level where they were this year with the people that, you know, they'll be better than the Illinois and the Rutgers and, you know, uh, the Minnesotas. They'll be not as good as the Ohio State, the Michigans, and the Penn State. And that's the challenge to close that gap because the three teams I just mentioned all live on your side of the Big Ten because the Big Ten's got a balance problem with East and West. But if you're talking about being going to a bowl at a baseline expectation, being able to, to, to get over the hump and, and win a game now and again against the Penn States and Ohio States, that, that's, how you, that's how you gain momentum. Uh, am I going to sit here right now and say win championships? I'm sure they'll say that because that's what every coach has to say. But given the cyclical nature of the sport and, and how rugged that side of the, of the Big Ten is, there's no coach. It's going to come. Bill Belichick's not coming in here and making Maryland like national championship contenders in in a short period of time. It's a, it's a, it's this is a long turnaround that Maryland football has got to undergo, but it starts with talent acquisition as far as the on-field product goes. And Mike is 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 uniquely wired in the area to make that happen. You think there's any chance that Jalen Hurts would come with him? Sure, I do. Sure, I do. And. I, I look. I think there's there's. I would think that at Alabama, given the way they recruit, that there's there are probably a number of players that are four star. I mean, who knows? Even five star type players that get there and realize I'm not going to see the field here, and would would be looking to come elsewhere. I have no idea if if I'm right or wrong about that. But as far as Hertz goes, the part I loved so much about everyone doing the Jalen Hurts, oh, see, this is why you don't transfer. This is why you stick it out. This is why you stay. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Guess what? He's leaving next fall. <laughs> Look, I'll, whatever you want to bet on that, I'll book it because he's going to go someplace else because he's not going to play next year because two is going to play. So I'd be, I'd be shocked if Jalen Hurts didn't go somewhere else next year. Uh, would he come with his offensive coordinator? Sure, why not? I, I I have no intel on that. Like I don't, I haven't heard that that's happening. He'd have to but sit out a year. It would, no, he'd be a graduate. Oh, he'd be a graduate, so he'd be yeah. available to play immediately. Next year. Exactly. Hello. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there just happens to be no no offense to Kasim Hill. Uh, he's, he's, it's, well, he's hurt. Uh, he's, he's hurt. hurt. It's it, for a second straight year, um, but. That'd be pretty interesting. Jalen Hurts is the Maryland starting quarterback next year. That would probably put a few people um, into the stadium. Uh, last thing on this, actually, what's his relationship with Damon Evans? It's tricky, and and and, and I think that what happened like the last time, because because Damon was here the last time, right? Uh, and Mike went through the process and interviewed, and um, and didn't get the job. And my understanding of that is that it, it was it. I mean, look, think think about it. You're you're working in a radio station, and you know you're working with a co-host, and that co-host something happens, and then you take over the gig, and you're auditioning for it, and then the the, the, the station, uh, you know, GM uh, program director t- decides he doesn't want to keep you, and you leave. Well, you're not going to be like, hey man, me and that guy are great. Uh, this is the job Mike always wanted. So when it ended, I, I I my understanding is that. 
they, they might didn't view it positively, who would have? But I, I think both he and Damon were clearly able to see past whatever issues uh, there were then and lock arms now and, and move forward. I mean, they got a pressure uh, on Thursday, and, and we'll see what the, you know, the talking points about the future are. But, I mean, I, I think collectively Maryland – Spending a whole lot of time lingering in the past about what relationships have and haven't worked is counterproductive because I think everybody out there needs to know that, that they've got to do better than they've done. And um, I, I think it, it starts by by deciding to team up. Um, so it, will they have stuff to, to work through from the past? Yeah, because their, their past includes that. But whatever issues existed, Clearly, they weren't hurdles that, that weren't able to be overcome because they've agreed, you know, Damon's brought him in to be the coach. Uh, and Mike agreed to leave Alabama to come do it. So that, to me, gives me optimism that if, that if you know, if there were uh, bruises or scars that they've healed sufficiently. Uh, let's flip it to basketball real quickly. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but Maryland plays Purdue tonight on the road. They're a seven-point dog. I, I was hoping to see, you know, three or four, not seven. Yeah, you, you, but you weren't because they, they, Purdue's good. They lost at Florida State in, in, against a really talented Florida State team that they should have won the game and they lost it. Then they went to Michigan and got smacked. And that's the worst. Like, I was rooting for, for them to not get, come come back home with a week to get ready for a conference game off of two losses. Like, this, this you and I both agree about Matt Painter. He's an excellent coach. Love him. Carson Edwards, Carson Edwards their guard, is one of the best players in the country. And they go home, and they're you know the wounded animals, the dangerous animals. So it's, it's this is a tough this is a tough one for Maryland tonight. Um, I, I think it, it they're underdogs for a reason. Purdue's good. They were ranked until they lost a couple in a row, and, and it's going to be a lot to ask. There's such a, your first true road game is a December game at Mackey against a pissed off bunch of Purdue people. So um, you know a win would be an upset tonight. So they're an eight. I just I just. Uh... I know. Updated. They're I mean, now an, they're now an eight point underdog. Yeah, I was, yeah. I saw I saw it's, eight. Today, it's so, climbing. You know. uh, the big yeah, ten, the, the, the Big Ten's good though. Like this early season, and I had Turgeon on the show yesterday. Um, and as unfair as it may be that your conference strength is determined in November and December when teams really haven't developed and, and become what they're going to be in February and March, it, it's, it's reality. And the Big Ten just hasn't had great Novembers and Decembers, in, in, certainly not last year. This year it's been pretty good. I mean, this, this, is, you know, th- this league may end up with 9, 10, 11 teams. In the tournament, I think yep. I think the bracketology, the first one that came out, had ten or eleven in the field. So I mean, it's yeah. And I watched I watched the Nebraska team go on the road uh, last night and, and lose at Minnesota. Um, the uh, the one team that's uh, Illinois, like they they they've, they've struggled pretty mightily this year to start the year. They haven't, uh, although they pushed Gonzaga to the limit out in Valley. But yeah, the league's really good. And I I said on the show the other night, uh, I really like these two games because they I mean let's be honest the the, the, the people you're playing outside of these games in, in many cases just aren't your equal and and you know with respect to the you know LIU Brooklyn's of the world playing games like that aren't going to help your team get better knowing you've got a Penn State and a and a, uh, a, a Purdue to play in early December that count towards your conference it forces you to get focused, and it also gives you a chance, win or lose, to take inventory of what you've got as you get ready to, you know, 
enjoy the holidays and get ready for January where you, you dive in the deep end. So I, I really like it. Um, and, you know, they got the win at, at home against Penn State. Uh, and, and now, now, whatever. It's, it's, this is a good team. And Maryland plays most of the good teams in the league twice this year. So it's going to be – they're going to take some out. It's a young team. They're going to lose some. Uh, but they're going to win some too. So uh, it should be fun to see where they are. All right. Where did you uh, – with winners, with your pick segment, uh, you don't do NFL. So d- – Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I oh, you do? So you've got NFL. So yeah. who do you like? I mean, to me, the NFL board actually looks really appealing this weekend. And, and You know what's funny? Is I have, because, I, because my winners is almost, well, I just, I do college until it ends. Uh, I haven't looked at a single number because normally what I do is like on Wednesday night, I get ready to do the picks for Thursday. And they're, all there is is Army-Navy. Well, Navy and, looks right. Uh, I have. Well, of course they do. And, uh, I mean, I always have the underdog. For years, it was Army. I would have Army every single year forever. Now, Navy is in that role. But I don't even I don't even know what the NFL numbers are because I haven't bothered to look. Now, you may want to look at them because it's an appealing card. Oh, I will. And, and I've been, uh, NFL-wise, it's been a pretty good run for me. You've Actually, been sizzling, haven't you? Yeah, 30 and 11 over the last three and a half weeks. I'd say that's, that's pretty oh. good. It's not bad. Stanford Steve finished the year like 42-20-something and two. Like he, un- he, hit, he hit a legitimate 67% for a year I, picking games I on know, the record. I know. It's incredible uh, the year he had. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being patient, too, while we got our phone lines fi- uh, figured out. I'll talk to you later. Uh, it's fine. It's like a mom-and-pop outfit. It's a labor of love, Kevin. You know <laughs> it that. is definitely mom-and-pop. <laughs> that's for sure. All right, I'll talk to you or later. Dad, son, whatever the case may be. All right, you guys have a good one. All right, uh, tomorrow on the show, I think Cooley will be with us. Uh, he's got some thoughts about some of the things that he saw watching film of the Philadelphia game, and a lot of it has nothing to do with the quarterback, and much of it isn't necessarily encouraging, but uh, I think he'll join us on the show tomorrow. Uh, and we'll have a full Football Friday show uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, let me also just ask all of you that um, regardless of how you're listening to the podcast, those that want to listen, that don't know how to do podcasts and say, how are you listening to Sheehan, just tell them to go to thekevinsheehanshow.com. That's the easiest thing for people that, for whatever reason, don't feel like doing iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play. Um, also, if you're on uh, any of the Apple Podcasts platforms or iTunes and you haven't rated us um, or you haven't subscribed, uh, it helps us if you do that. Um, I'd appreciate that. Subscribing, by the way, doesn't mean you pay. I've mentioned that many times before. It's free, completely free. Um, and you don't have to give any information. But if you subscribe on iTunes, then the podcast every day will just get pushed to your phone every day. So it's there uh, when we have it up uh, and done. Uh, all right, let's get to the NFL Power Poll to finish up the show. All right. Um, I actually don't have a smell test pick before we get to the power poll, but I will tell you that I like the over tonight in Jacksonville, Tennessee. A lot of people think that this is an under game. The first game was nine to six. Jacksonville's been playing, you know, some of these games recently that are super low scoring, six nothing last week against Indianapolis. Um, but it's 37 and a half, 38, somewhere around there. I'm probably personally going to play the over. It's very rare that the public likes an under. Very rare. And the reason for that is it's so much easier to root for an over, to root for points, than it is to root for no scores and the clock to run. 
Um, unders are painful when you have the under to watch a game rooting for the under. But everybody's so convinced that this is going to be 10-7 or 9-6 or you know 16-13 that the public's actually playing the under. I'm not going to give it out as a smell test pick because there isn't – I don't see a lot of supporting sharp uh, action on the over. But I think I'll personally have the over 37.5 um, tonight in the Jacksonville-Tennessee game. All right, let's get to the power poll this week, and I get to do it without Tommy. Uh, he'll be back next week to do it. But there are a couple of things that I wanted to mention as we went through the power poll. Uh, the power poll starts with me. Number five is Houston. I actually have them ahead of the Chargers at five. I am rooting for Phillip Rivers. I've mentioned that over and over and over again, and I, and I have for the last several years. Um, Houston's a better team. Uh, Houston is really dangerous. I saw a... a a, a, a column yesterday on ESP, I think it was ESPN yesterday, uh, asking whether or not Houston was a playoff team. Are, is, are the Texans a playoff team? What are you kidding me? Of course they're a playoff team. The question is whether or not they're a Super Bowl contender. And I think they are. I think you're not going to want to face Houston in January. Now, their road to... Um, thirteen and three to a you know to a thirteen game win streak to end the year after starting zero and three is Indy this weekend at home at the Jets at Philly you know on December twenty third with the Eagles very likely having to have having to win that game and then they close with Jacksonville I don't see anything worse than twelve and four I think thirteen and three is in play thirteen and three probably gets them a two seed. Maybe a one, but more likely than not, a top two seed, a first round bye, and you know, a home playoff game in the divisional round. To me, that puts him in the AFC title game against either New England or Kansas City or San Diego, Chargers or Pittsburgh. I don't know. I think Houston can go to the Super Bowl. I think they're good enough, but they're definitely a playoff team. They're my number five team this week. I've got KC at four, even though I would love to see Houston play Kansas City. I think they could beat the Chiefs. But look, the Chiefs are, you know, they continue to roll. Um, they gave up a lot of points last week. This is why I am not buying them for Super Bowl. They gave up 33 to the Raiders. All right, 33 to the Raiders. You know, they that Cardinal team that all of a sudden has played better recently, they had Kansas City in trouble in the fourth quarter. Not, a, not ahead, but it was a one-score game pretty much throughout. But I'm going to leave the Chiefs at four right now. And I'll leave the Patriots at three. Um, I know I just went on and on about Houston, but I, I, I think still I would favor New England over Houston in a postseason game if it's in Foxborough. And I would favor Kansas City at home over Houston. I'm just telling you that I think Houston could win that game. I think they could go on the road and win those games. Uh, so that's that gets me to two, which I leave the Rams at two, and despite the loss, I leave the Saints at one. Uh, Dallas is good, and Dallas was very close um, to moving, uh, you know, into that top five. They were. Dallas is a complete team right now. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but they are. Uh, Dallas and the Chargers uh, were really just outside that that top five. Um, and teams to watch. I mean, obviously Seattle right now is a team you got to be. You know, because and here's why you really you keep your eye on on Seattle here the rest of the way, 
is that Seattle has already played the Rams twice and had a chance to win both of those games. I would give Russell Wilson in Seattle a chance in L.A. in a divisional round game. I don't know that I'd give anybody a chance in the NFC of beating the Saints in New Orleans. I know what I saw last Thursday night, and I called it last Thursday with Tommy here. I had Dallas as a smell test pick, and I said I thought they had a really good chance to win the game outright. And Dallas is really good, and they're really complete. And Sunday afternoon's game between Philadelphia and Dallas, I think um, well, it's a, it's a massive game. I, it's not a killer for Dallas if they lose it because Philly's got the Rams and Texans the next two weeks after that. The Rams on the road, the Texans at home. Uh, but I still have the Saints as number one. I st- I, I, they're going to... The biggest beneficiary of the Dallas win last week may have been the Rams because they won't potentially have to go to the Superdome in an NFC title game uh, because they have one loss and the Saints have two losses and the Rams right now, you know, they're going to be favored in their final four games. They're barely favored this Sunday, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, more likely than not, the Bears will be a smell test pick in the Sunday night game plus three at home against the Rams in what should be a, a frigid, cold soldier field. Um, they've got the Eagles next week, and then they finish with the Cardinals and the Niners. I guess there's a chance that the Rams could lose one and the Saints could run the table. I think the Saints are going to have a difficult uh, time this weekend against Tampa. Uh, but I, it's, the Saints are my number one team. They're my number one team. It's become more interesting, though, in the NFC because of what Dallas looks like, potentially because Philadelphia offensively found something Monday night against the Redskins. The Bears are tough. Um, Seattle's dangerous. God, the, the playoffs are going to be great this year. Both conferences going to be really good. Uh, I did want to mention one one other thing about the Patriots. I have them at number three, but do you know what the Patriots are in Miami during the Tom Brady era? Seven and nine in Miami, Tom Brady is as a starter. He's, he's got a losing record in games in Miami. He's thrown 15 interceptions in those games. And almost everybody associated with this says it's the climate that Brady doesn't perform well in high humidity. Teddy Bruschi said it's the humidity. Brady admitted it may be the climate. It's supposed to be 83 degrees with showers and 75% humidity in Miami on Sunday for that game. All right, thanks to Tommy for calling in. Uh, Thanks to Scott. Uh, Thanks to Corbin who produced us today. Thanks to all of you. A football Friday tomorrow. Uh, Redskins beat Giants if... If you care, I guess would be um, the way to go with it. We'll have Friday football quick quick picks. Uh, I think there's going to be a pretty big smell test tomorrow, uh, NFL-wise, and even the college game on Saturday, the Army-Navy game. So tune in for that. If you've missed any of the shows this week because the game got late Monday night and it was depressing, there was a lot good on the Tuesday show, the recap of the game. Uh, and yesterday, if you missed Turgeon, Um, He was excellent, and that's at the 47-minute mark. If you missed that, go back and listen to that. And you can listen to that by just going to thekevinsheehanshow.com and clicking past episodes. Have a great day.